welcome back to episode two of the John Lavero Actualized podcast. I am your host, John Lavero. Thank you so much for everyone that tuned into episode one and everybody that left reviews on Apple Podcast. I really, really appreciate that. That helps out a lot. A lot of people left me DMs and I saw people at the show on this last Sunday that I performed with the Higgs. A lot of people came up and mentioned how much they enjoyed the podcast and I appreciate it a lot. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, yeah, let's just get right into this episode two. So yeah, we did a gig. The Higgs played a show. You know, it's been a long time coming since this pandy, since the pandemic. We haven't really had any light at the end of the tunnel as musicians, and things are still a little weird. You know, we don't know what the future is going to be like for performing artists, but we were able to do a show at the Wayfair this last Sunday. And just a little bit of history about the Wayfair. The Higgs have been playing there for years six years or so. And it's become our local spot where if we're going to do a show in our hometown at this point, it's probably going to be at the Wayfair. And usually what it is, is it's an indoor venue with a, you know, legit stage, great sound, great bar and all that. And it usually stands about 200 to 250 people. But what they did for the pandemic was they closed off that part for the show And they moved everything back out into this back patio and the back patio is pretty big and they're able to put tables out. And the idea was to have about 50 people in the back patio and we wanted to to do a free show this first time because, you know, things are weird and we wanted people to come see some live music and we didn't know what things are going to be like. So we just made it free and it was nice. All the tables were sectioned off. So If you didn't want to be close to another group and you just came with maybe your significant other, you could sit at a table that was distanced from other people, which was really nice. I wore a mask the whole time uh, just because I felt like it was the right thing to do. And I'm singing and all that, so I don't need to be uh, mask-free, in my opinion, at this point. But, you know, as, as things progress, we'll see where that all leads to, you know? And it was so incredibly fun. It was so amazing. Uh, I just haven't felt that feeling in so long and neither had these people. And you could tell, even though it wasn't like a full on show indoors with the lights and everything, it was still unbelievable. It was actually really cool being outdoors and like uh, in a patio kind of environment, patio kind of setup. And yeah, so I wore the mask and... I'd have to admit it's it's harder to sing with the mask. It's harder to get the words to sound more enunciated. It's a little muffled like that. And not only that, uh, when I'm singing, it starts to move on me. So actually a couple times it started to like fall off and I had to adjust it. Um, but other than that, you know, all the other uncomfortableness that goes on with wearing a mask. But at the end of the day, it's totally worth it. And I had no problem doing it. So yeah, it, wearing a mask and performing a gig, it's not ideal. And it's, I don't think you could, you would ask any musician like, Hey, if you know, there wasn't a pandemic, would you prefer to wear the mask? I don't think any musician would say yes. So, um, but you know, we're willing to do things, uh, in light of what's happening right now. So yeah, yeah. 
So the beard's growing back a little bit too. Um, yeah, people have been asking me, where did your beard go? Because I used to have a nice, you know, girthy beard. And uh, yeah, so what happened was during the pandemic, usually I'll just like go to a guy like every three to six months or something and go get a little trim and they do a really great job. And I kind of knew this about myself that I don't do a really great job when I try to trim up my beard. I usually, ru- I usually ruin it. So during the pandemic, everyone's closed up. It's hard to get an appointment. My guy was all booked. He was only doing private stuff. And so I'm like, yeah, whatever. Let, let, let's give it a shot. Went over to Walmart and I picked up some cheap razor thingy, some uh, electric razor. And I just started going, like started to trim up around here and do those types of things, go up on the neck and whatnot. But I, you know, I went one step too far. I think it was the chin. I went too far up on the chin and it's just basically game over at that point. The whole thing had to go. So losing the beard was a total mistake. It wasn't the uh, initial idea. It's just kind of what happened because you know, I relearned my lesson. I knew that I wasn't good at trimming beards and now I've relearned that I'm not good at trimming beards. So for all those people that have been coming up to me and asking me like, why, why, what's up with the baby face, man? What, where's the beard? That's what happened. It's, it's just the fact that I can't trim a beard. Right. And I attempted it and I went one step too far. And, uh, you know, this is what happened. So during this pandemic, uh, my wife and I, to, you know, stay creative and stay, you know, out there and be in contact with our people and everything like that. We started to make these videos. We made some green screen videos and my good friend Joe was asking about them and he wanted me to talk about them here on the podcast. And really what we were doing was we were taking some songs that we enjoyed by other artists and kind of making our own little version at home with a fun little green screen video to add to it. And what started the idea was I was online one day and I noticed that Peter from Goose was playing Rain and Thunder, one of our songs, on his acoustic guitar. And I believe it was for like a fan for Cameo or something like that. And they asked him about the Higgs or asked him to play a song or something to that degree. And I went online and I checked it out and I was really happy with what I saw. And I was really stoked that Pete was covering our song. And so it got me to think, and I was like, you know, I really dig that song Arcadia that Goose does. So why don't I try to record it, you know, just a little home studio version, have the wife come in and do some vocals and some piano and stuff. And, you know, we started to have some fun with it. So next thing we knew, we were just doing a few songs, maybe like once a week or so, uh, when things were like seriously, seriously locked down. And there wasn't much else going on. So yeah, we ended up doing like Arcadia by Goose. We did Bird in a House by Railroad Earth. Uh, I did a Billy Strings tune, uh, Dust in a Baggie. And there's a few other ones. And uh, yeah, so for anyone that saw those videos and were curious about it, I just basically what I did to, to do those videos was I set up cameras, set up a green screen, and we would shoot and record the song. And then after that, I kind of just edited it all together and, um, you know, put the music in a DAW. I use Logic, so I'd throw it into Logic and do all the mixing and compressing and leveling and all that stuff. And then after the audio was done, bounce that into Final Cut Pro, which is where I do my video editing, pull the videos into there, 
do the fun green screen stuff, make people twirl around on the screen and whatnot. And there you go. You have the quarantine green screen videos from John Lavero featuring Brittany Lark on some of them. Brittany Lark Lavero, my wife. And um, yeah, man, it was just a really good time. And uh, it was just fun to make. So I don't know if I'm going to be doing any more in the near future, but I do have fun with green screen and it's fun to mess around with the editing software and stuff like that. So don't be shocked if something else like that comes out in the near future. Um, yeah, Joe also mentioned in the comments, he was asking about my gear. So he wanted me to talk a little bit about my gear and this kind of could piggyback off of another question that someone left in the comments. Lee asked me about my guitar tone evolution and rabbit holes that I've chased. So gear and my guitar tone evolution and rabbit holes I chased. I, pr I should probably start with guitar tone evolution and rabbit holes because that will probably lead to gear. Okay. So man, where do I start? So I think some of my first real heavy influences on guitar, like that inspire me in the way that I play now were guys like Eric Clapton back in the day, Jimi Hendrix. And this is like when I'm in like high school, young high school years, and when I'm really starting to get into electric guitar and starting to figure out how to solo and improvise and things like that. Um, a lot of Led Zeppelin, tons of Pink Floyd. So I listened to David Gilmore, probably the most out of all those guys in this particular time period, like freshman, sophomore year of high school. And then things started to lead down the road of like the Aldemiolas and, you know, people like uh, John McLaughlin. And I was also heavily getting into jam bands at the time, like Fish and the Dead. So, I mean, like I could pretty much I could backtrack and kind of say that Trey and Jerry are two of my main influences and maybe not even so much for sound, but for conceptual things. Yeah, and then, you know, I started get diving really deep into all that stuff. So I started figuring out how to improvise and how to solo like some of those guys. And not that I'm anywhere near any of those names that I've mentioned, but try to take ideas from them and apply them to my guitar playing. So some of the rabbit holes I've chased were like tone. You know, that's probably one of the more, more important things when you're a guitar player is the tone that you're chasing. And the tone can come from your fingers, it can come from the guitar, it can come from the pedals, it can come from your amp. So there's a lot of things that go into what makes up your tone. And some of the things that inspired me right off the bat was sustain, long sustaining notes, like something like David Gilmore would do, you know, like when he holds a band, it's like, wah, and just like holds that note, you know what I mean? And it just lasts forever. Sustain is super important to me. Um, certain effects for like textural things, like the Mutron pedal that Jerry uses. I mean, that sound in itself is applied to my sound in ways. Um, different types of delays and reverbs. So what I've kind of landed on is... I think foundationally for me, I like a guitar that has 
a nice amount of color coming from it, but maybe that I can dial it back a little bit. So what I'm working with now is this beautiful guitar that was custom made for me. And it's kind of like a Les Paul shape in the body, but it has two F holes. So I get some feedback and I get like a really like round, rich sound from this guitar. The guitar is humbuckers, so I can actually switch those humbuckers to single coils if I need to. So I got tap coils. So I can get a really kind of like colored, almost already a little bit dirty sound coming from my guitar if I have it on the humbucker mode. But if I want that more clean kind of strat sound, I'll switch to the single coil style, okay? So let's start there. So we start with like a, a, a guitar that's clean. It is what it is. And then it goes into the pedals, right? Now for me, I, I do have a lot of pedals right now. I actually just increased what I'm working with um, almost twofold recently. So right now I have two pedal boards and there's a lot going on. But I think the way I use it is very simple. I don't, I rarely have everything on at the same time. And some of the pedals are very similar to each other. And I think a lot of people could get, get away with just using like one of the two or one of the three. Cause I've, I actually have three overdrive pedals right now. Um, so let's just talk about like really quick tone and things like that. So what's important on guitar for your pedal board? Cause we got the guitar set up. Now we're going into the pedal board. For me, I like, like I said, sustain. And what's going to give you sustain? First and foremost, if you want sustain with no overdrive, no crunch, you know, no distortion, things like that, you would probably want to use a compression pedal. And I do use compression. I use a Keeley four knob compressor. And that's one of the first things that my guitar gets to um, when it goes through the pedals. It's actually right after the overdrives. So it's, it's right there. So that will give you sustain. If you don't want that, like I said, that overdrive, that crunch, that distortion, I pretty much always have my compressor set on. It's set very subtly, so it doesn't color the sound too much. It doesn't squash it down too much. But then the next step for getting solid sustain would be my overdrives. Okay, now overdrives are incredibly, incredibly important, I think, with guitar. So it's, I think that's almost at the top of the list. Like if you are a guitar player that's just starting out and you're like, you got that gear, they call, a lot of people call it gas, gear acquisition syndrome. If you got that gas right now and you're going on YouTube watching Gear Man Dude videos and watching Premier Guitar, Andy from Premier Guitar demoing stuff and you're just like, oh, I, got, I need gear, 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 but you don't know what to get. A great starting point for a guitar player would be a solid overdrive. Now, what's the first thing that comes to mind when most of us think about overdrives? It's probably a tube screamer, you know? Even people that don't play guitar probably could recognize that green pedal that's on a lot of pedal boards. And, you know, guys like Trey Anastasio use, use them. He uses two of them, actually. Carlos Santana super popularized it. Uh, there's so many people that use this pedal. Um, the list will go on forever. And for good reason. It's a great sounding pedal. It does color the guitar a little bit. And what I mean by that is when you have overdrives, 
you can get overdrives that kind of just crunch your guitar sound a little bit, but keep for the most part, the natural sound of the guitar. Or you have overdrives that kind of have their own color and they kind of have their own sound and kind of take over a little bit. They kind of take over what the guitar is doing and kind of adds their own vibe to it. There's probably more compression in a tube screamer than some of the other overdrive pedals on my board. So I do have a tube screamer and it's got a mod from Analog Man. And I believe it's the same mod that Trey has. And that pedal sounds fantastic. Another overdrive that I use is, it's like a Klon clone. So if you're familiar with Klon, Klon is really known for being more of a transparent overdrive. So like I explained with the Tube Screamer, it's not so transparent. You have more coloration happening on the effect onto the guitar. With the Klon clone, because it's not actually a Klon, it's made by someone else. Archer is the name of the pedal. That is going to give you some edge, but it's also going to retain the sound of the guitar initially. So it's not going to completely color it and completely compress it and things like that. That's a fantastic sounding pedal. And a lot of people actually use it more tastefully and with the gain almost completely rolled off. So it's actually an overdrive pedal that for the most part, isn't really even used to overdrive the guitar, but more just add this like nice chime and like kind of bring up the mids a little bit, maybe the treble. A lot of people almost use it as a boost, like an always on boost. And I love that pedal, it's fantastic. But my absolute favorite overdrive and the one that I utilize the most on my board is the Analog Man King of Tone. And what the King of Tone is, is it's the same pedal two times in one box. Super simple. So you have two on-off switches, and then you have the exact same settings. It's, it's basically like split down the middle, and then you have one pedal, and then the exact same pedal right next to it. But it's just all in one box. Very convenient. Why would you need the same pedal twice? Um, with overdrives, it's nice to push an overdrive into another overdrive. That's why I have three overdrives. Well, I mean, technically you can say it's four because the analog man is two and one. So what a lot of people might do is set one really clean to give them maybe some more volume, maybe it's kind of just a little bit of a push over the edge in the solo, something like that. And then maybe the other one is set to just destroy you know the gain is all the way up you're going to get that full sustain off of it that's kind of how i use the analog man so the left side of my analog man is set up pretty just like straightforward and the right side of my analog man is just like full-on crunched so the gain is turned all the way up on it so i have the same sounding pedal that can do two subtly different things in one it sounds like overkill having that many overdrives, but the different types of sounds you can get from different overdrives are real. And uh, it's not a one-on-one -on -one comparison. Not all overdrives are created equal and won't give you the same sound. Okay, so we got our compression, we got our overdrives. So that's kind of dealing with the sustain portion of things and uh, the little bit of edge, a little more tone, a little more crunch, if you will. 
you know, then we start to move into modulation and things like that. And I think for me, the most important modulation in my sound is going to be a phaser first and foremost. For years, I used that tried and true box, the phase 90, one knob on it, fast or slow. Everyone's used one of those from, you know, Van Halen to country artists to Garcia. I mean, a lot of people have had a phase 90 on their board at one point in time. And for good reason. It's a great sounding pedal. But recently what I moved over to was the Strymon Mobius pedal. And what that does is it's like a multi-modulation effect pedal. So when I say modulation, I'm just basically meaning effects that are in the world of phasers, tremolos, uh, replicators of Leslie's, vibe pedals, things like that. So what this pedal does is it gives me more options. So I can have that phaser sound. I can replicate that phase 90. I can get a cool flanger sound if I want to, which is kind of a more intense phaser. I can get that vibrato. I can get that, uh, essentially it's like a Leslie sound, kind of like what, what like Hendrix would have used back in the day. And there's also some other weird stuff on it, like ring, uh, ring modulators and things like that. So that Mobius pedal is fantastic because I have a lot of different options than just a phaser. So we have modulation, which is also very important. And then we're going to get into some things like harmonizers and delays and like the really weird and fun stuff. So I think a really important place to start would be an octave pedal. Octave pedals are great. They fatten up the guitar sound, or you can get like a really high pitch kind of whistle sound out of the guitar if you go the other route and you go with the high octave. And for a long time, I think the OC2s and the OC3s, and still today are just great, absolutely fantastic pedals. But the one that I like is the POG. I've uh, the micro pog, I believe is what it's called by Electroharmonics. And the reason I like that one is because it's, you can play multiple notes at a time. Those OC2s and those OC3s, you can't. You have to actually play one note at a time for it to be able to track it. With the pog, you could play a full on chord and it'll pick it up and give you the octaves as well. So it almost could sound like an organ when you play a chord. It's pretty, pretty phenomenal. And I like to add that in with other effects, with other types of modulation or wah or things like that. So octave is very cool, octave pedal. Now what pairs with the octave pedal very well? The Mutron or the Qtron. You know, that's a classic sound. I feel like a lot of the time that Jerry was on that Mutron, he would use an octave. I noticed Kang from String Cheese Incident does the same thing, or he'll even do like a fifth, which is not a, an octave, but you know, the fifth note in the scale. And that also has a very cool sound to it. So pedals like the Pogs and the OC2s and the OC3s and things like that work fantastic for getting just like that low octave or that high octave. Now there's, 
this other pedal that's been on my board as of recently, it's an Eventide H9 Harmonizer pedal. And this thing is wild. This thing is outrageous. It has everything from octaves, fifths, harmonies, to like delay sounds. Like it's like a multi-effects pedal that I think is based around harmonizers. And that's just a whole nother rabbit hole, a whole nother world to go into. But let's stick with some of the more um, foundational and important things. I think the another thing that's very important is some sort of delay or reverb or a combination of both. I right now have two reverb pedals on my board. I have the good old fashioned Electro Harmonics Holy Grail, which I've seen a number of guys using. And it's just a fantastic pedal. It's very, very affordable. So if you're looking for a reverb pedal that's very affordable and very effective, the Holy Grail is fantastic. But then I also have a Strymon Blue Sky on the board. And that thing is outrageous. The, the, Reverb sounds so realistic. When you put it on a spring reverb sound, it literally sounds like there's a reverb tank right next to you rattling and making that noise. It is phenomenal. And not to mention, it also has harmonizers and things like that. So there's effects on that pedal that add notes like fifths and things like that as well. And you can get some of the most ambient, dreamy, huge sounding sounds to like very subtle you know, like a little slapback reverb or like a little bit of a plate reverb or a hall kind of sound. And you can really dial it back and make it very tasteful or you can just crank it up and make it absolutely outrageous. And it sounds like you're in the hall of wonders, so to speak. Phenomenal, phenomenal. So reverb, I think is very important. Another thing is delay. A good delay pedal that I've been using for years that's also relatively affordable is the Memory Boy Deluxe by Electro Harmonics. I know I got a lot of Electro Harmonics stuff. They make good pedals. Um, that pedal's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. It's analog, so it's a little more subtle than what you're going to get from maybe something like what else I have on my board, like a DD500 from Boss, which is a digital delay. And it's much more comprehensive and you can go in much more depth on a DD500 from Boss versus an analog Memory Boy Deluxe over here from Electro Harmonics. So with the Memory Boy Deluxe analog delay, you can get really rich sounds, really full sounds, and you can do some really weird stuff if you want to like bring up the feedback and make it feedback on itself. It's really good for stuff like that. So doing like really crazy trippy effects. If you've ever noticed me in a show, get down on my knees and start like turning knobs like crazy on my pedal board. I'm probably doing 99% of that stuff on the memory boy deluxe, just because I know it so well. And it's my analog delay that can do those types of things. Okay. So it's very good for those types of things. Now, digital delay, my DD500 is what I use for a digital delay. Very, very exacting. Okay, very, very precise. So it has a tap tempo, like most delays do. But once you get that thing tapped in, it is so precise and it's not gonna move anywhere. And so if you wanna do like really like 
kind of like rhythmic things like like stuff like that that's like very in sync and in time with what the drummer's doing digital delays are phenomenal because they're so exact so exacting what you're going to lose a little bit from a digital delay though is some of that richness and fullness that you'll get from an analog pedal we all kind of know that analog sounds amazing. So if you're listening to vinyls at home or listening to cassette tapes and things like that, you'll notice a subtle richness that comes from listening on that platform that you won't get from listening to an MP3 or a FLAC or a WAV file or something. So the same thing kind of goes for guitar pedals and guitar amps and things like that. I haven't even gotten to the amp yet, but the difference between an analog delay and a digital delay in terms of quality of sound is the digital delay is going to be way more crispy and way more like exact, like I'm saying, and more clarity. But that analog has this subtle magic to it. There's something about the degradation of the sound when, when you're listening through analog that has some magic. I don't know. People say it kind of like takes off the high end. It kind of takes the point away from some of the, the sound. And it, it also has things that are going on that are just unexplainable, like overtones and things, I believe. Some audi professional audiophile is probably listening to me right now going like, you have no idea what you're talking about, dude. But at the end of the day, analog has more of a richer, fuller sound. And so what the re why do we go to digital for some things like delay? Because we'll sacrifice some of that richness and that fullness for that exactness. Okay. And more options and more presets and things like that. There's so much, um, analog is so limited in presets and things like that compared to digital. Okay. So it's nice to have both. It's nice to have both options. Then we're about the point where we get to the amp. Okay. So now this debate will go on forever. I'm sure tube amps versus solid state amps. Okay, there's two things that you can look at immediately. Two things you'll notice when you pick up a tube amp or you pick up a solid state amp. Tube amps are heavy. They're very heavy. Solid state amps are not. They're very light. Tube amps break. Tube amps need repair constantly. They need to be retubed. They need to be biased. They need to be looked at by a professional who can go in there and do those things. They're all wired point to point a lot of times, especially if you're, you have like old school vintage stuff. A lot of, of, of these solid states are all on a PCB board. So it's a lot easier, less things will break. You don't have tubes to replace ever. Like you could buy a solid state amp and play it for like 20 or 30 years probably and never even have to take it in for repair. But if you have a tube amp, if you're not switching out those tubes like every one to two years, you're going to have degradation in your tone. Uh, you might have like noise that happens. Basically with the tube amp, a lot more can go wrong. There's a lot more room for uh, failure in, as far as like the gear. Solid state, pretty much you could roll that thing down a flight of stairs and it's going to, you're going to plug it in on stage and it's going to sound great. Don't try that at home. 
Why do I use a tube amp then if it's such a pain? It just sounds so much better. Anybody that has played tube amps knows that it is nothing compared to solid state. And they're doing everything they can, man. They're doing everything they can with technology and amp design these days. Uh, these Kemper profilers and amp mods and all this. They're really, really trying to make it so you could have solid state sound as good as tube amps. But I just don't think they're quite there. They're like this close, like this close. But there's something about that warmth that comes from a tube, that sustain that you get from a tube, those overtones that you're hearing that come from a tube amp that solid state amps just do not compare. So... I use a twin reverb. I use a reissue 65, I believe 65 reissue Fender twin reverb. It's a big amp. I'm not going to lie. So for some of the smaller venues, it's not ideal. If you're playing in a smaller room, a more ideal amp would probably be like a Fender deluxe, which is around 22 Watts. I believe, I believe my twin is in like the 60 to 65 watt area something like that and it's loud it's big it's loud it's bright and if you turn the bass up it's bassy it's full it's rich but if you get into the right room you know with the right amount of people to kind of absorb the sound a little bit and you can crank that thing a little bit if you get it can get it past five there's nothing that beats uh fender twin reverb in my opinion on stage it is just such a fantastic sounding sounding amp it's kind of like the the SVT to the bass world, the Fender Twin is just, it to me, it's my go-to amp. It's such a fantastic sounding amp. Now, it has a reverb in it, okay? There's an actual reverb tank in that amp. And now because I, I've used that for a long time, but now that I have two reverb pedals on my board, I actually rolled the reverb completely off of my amp. Why? Uh, with an analog reverb that's just sitting in your amp, there's very, very, very little that you can control. Yes, it's real. It's a real spring. So it's like as real as it gets. But all you can control is the volume. It's either volume down or volume up. With these pedals, you can control the length of how long it's going to reverberate for. So if you hit a note, or you can make it go gang. You can't do that with the reverb tank in the amp. So there's another reason right there where digital becomes effective and it becomes preferred in my opinion for this application. So the reverb tank, usually the note lasts kind of while it's like, gang. there is no control of like bringing that back and having it nice and just like gang, where it, it's almost more of a slapback. You can do that on a digital pedal. So recently, I haven't been using my reverb in my actual amp. But the amp itself sounds fantastic even without the reverb. So, yeah. I mean, it's at the end of the day, this stuff is all preference. And this is all something that's just based on your playing. Everybody's fingers are different. So I could pick up my guitar and start jamming out on it 
And someone else might hop on my rig and be like, whoa, man, this, this sounds like way too bright or like this sounds like way too dark or something. Like I've had people play my rig before and be like, dude, that was unforgiving. I'll never forget that when, um, yeah, my buddy played my rig and came up to me after the show and was like, dude, that rig is unforgiving. I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that meant like the way I set it up is like more like bright. I think that's kind of what he was saying. I don't know if my fingers are a little bit softer, a little bit rounder, but like, I like a nice like edge. I I like a nice amount of treble and mids and all that coming through my amp, coming through the pedals. So yeah. And then I could hop on someone else's rig and maybe have to like dial some things, you know, I might have to crank that treble up a little bit or crank up the volume a little bit because maybe the way I have my guitar set up is a little bit more rolled off. Okay. So you can do a lot from the guitar as well when it comes to tone and things like that. Like you don't have to have everything cranked. It took me a long time to learn that you don't have to have everything on the guitar, just like dined all the time. You can be way, way more subtle with it on the guitar and then let the pedals and the amps do more of the work. And that is the trick right there. I swear that is the trick. That's what gives you the tone. Okay. So if you right now are cranking everything up on your guitar and then dialing in your overdrives and your, your tones and things like that, and then your amp and all that, try something next time. Try this. If you're a guitar player, challenge you roll your highs or your uh, your tone knob or your tone knobs all the way off so put them at zero okay then if so if you're doing a gibson take your volumes and put them at like five if it's a strat just take that one volume put it at five okay now reset the way you're thinking about your rig now try to dial in that tone down there. Okay. Now try to get the brightness and the sound and the richness out of your pedals and your amp. You might have to turn some things up. Okay. And that's where the good tone is going to come in. When, when you can crank that tube amp a little bit and warm those bad boys up a little more, you're going to get a better sound. Okay. So then, but this is the, also the cool thing about that. Then you have tons, tons of headroom. You can go from here to here. Okay, just let me get in the shot from here to here. Okay, just immediately. And how? Just either rolling up that volume or rolling up that tone. Okay, so new starting point, new way of thinking of things. And this took me forever to realize how important this was. And to get the, especially if you're using a tube amp that might be a little bit too powerful for some of the rooms that you're in. And it might be hard to get it to that volume that it needs to be at to sound really good and rich without blowing out the first row's ears. Roll that, that tone off. Okay. Roll that volume off a little bit too. Reset your tone. Go from there. Okay. So those are just some of the things that I think about when I'm setting up and I'm getting ready for a show and getting geared up. Uh, you know, but honestly, at the end of the day, it's really about just experimenting with what you have. I heard Trey say something one time, like it's, and I'm just paraphrasing cause I don't remember exactly what his words were, but it's to the degree of your gear doesn't matter. 
it doesn't matter what kind of gear you have. It's mainly about how well you know your gear. And, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. Some of it matters. If you don't have a delay pedal, you're not going to be able to get delay sounds. If you don't have um, some sort of modulation pedal, you're not going to be able to get modulation sounds. So those things are pretty, that's reality, okay? But I think I agree with the fact that you don't need the most expensive delay. You don't need the most expensive reverb. You don't need the most expensive overdrives. Um, you could start off with something that's very modest and you can do a lot with it. Probably just nearly just as much as you could do with the other pedal that costs $400 or whatever. Cause I mean, boutique pedals these days can be outrageously priced. And, um, so let's, let's, let's just think of a, a good starting rig. Like if I were to start from square one with the knowledge that I have now, and I had like a, a small budget, I don't have all the money in the world to spend on pedals. So I'm going for more inexpensive stuff. I would first and foremost, I would start with a soul food. I would get an electroharmonic soul food. Cause I think they're like around 60 bucks. It's another clone clone. So you can get some good overdrive. You could crunch it out if you want to, or you could just get like a nice clean boost off of it. Something like that. I would go get you one of those uh, Memory Boy Deluxes also. And I would get one of those Holy Grails. So it sounds like I'm sponsored by damn Electro Harmonics, but they have actually a lot of affordable pedals that sound great. They really do. They're not the greatest builds, I do notice that my electroharmonics pedals fall apart faster than other pedals. Things will start to come unscrewed. Wiring will stop working within the pedals. But I think that's just one of the prices you pay with not getting the, the higher end product. But the sounds that you can get off of those are phenomenal. So yeah, overdrive, delay, reverb. To me is like all you need, all you need. All that other stuff is just like fancy extras and flair. And um, when I get bored on stage and I need something to do, I'll go down and mess with some sounds, you know? And, you know, as you progress more in your guitar, you seek out more things. You seek out more sounds. And you want to be able to replicate some of the things you've heard on albums or live recordings from other bands. And sometimes the only way to replicate those sounds is to have those effects patched in with your rig or to have that particular amp or to have that particular guitar. And yeah, that's why like a number of guitars could come into play too. So bands like Wilco, for example, you watch a guy like Jeff Tweedy, he has a guy handing him a new guitar for every song just about. And as much as I understand that, I kind of also understand the thought process or the philosophy of like having a number one, you know, like your baby, the one that you always play. And there's a couple reasons for it. Um, one being, you know what it feels like under your fingers because different guitars have different types of necks, different type of wood, different size frets, different spacing of the frets, different length. So if you're jumping around from different guitar to different guitar and there's these little subtle differences, you're going to have to be adjusting every time. And I think the way that 
Jeff Tweedy's thinking is like, oh, like for this song, this needs, and I don't even know if he even plays these guitars, but I'm just like throwing stuff off the top of my head. Like, oh, like this song's a little darker. Like, let me bust out my SG for this one. Or like, this one is more of an acoustic sounding song. So I'm going to use the Martin here. Or like, oh, this is like a total like telly song. Like I want to get that more twangy kind of like country-esque kind of chicken picking kind of sound off of it. So there's, a lot of reasons to use different guitars for different applications, but then you look at a guy like Trey or a guy like Jerry who seemed to come across a guitar, even though they had a huge collection of guitars and fall in love with that one guitar and play it for however long decades, a few years, whatever it may be until maybe a, a nicer, newer version of that guitar comes out or like maybe an, um, he, the guitar player had some ideas to make some adjustments on the newer model. And um, you'll see that with Trey, like Languedoc guitars. He pretty much gets a guitar and he sticks to it for a while. And yeah, look at Jerry would do the same thing. He'd have a guitar and there would be an era of that guitar. And then, you know, maybe he'd pick up something else and then, then comes the Travis Bean era and then so, so on and so forth. Right. So, and I think the idea there is like, you get locked in, you know what that thing feels like, you know exactly what it sounds like. You know, if you roll that knob up just a little bit, you're going to get just that much gain or just that much volume increase or just that much tone increase where if you're bouncing from the Strat to the Les Paul, to the Tele, to the SG, different pickups, different, uh, pickup selection options, things are going to get challenging. I think in the sense of like, you're going to have to adapt and you're going to have to go, okay, this is, I remember what this guitar sounds like. This is how we do this. Here we go. And I, I think you could probably get just as acquainted with all of them as you could with one guitar, but it'd probably just take more time. And I think I'm more on the I, I, I like playing one guitar. I like having a guitar that's my baby. It's ready to go for me. I know exactly what it's going to sound like. I know it's going to work when I plug it in. It hasn't been in a case for months not being played. It comes out every single day. And uh, yeah, so if you're a starting guitar player and you're trying to build up a rig and you're trying to create your tone, let's just go over the basics real quick. Guitar is important. And, you know, you get yourself something affordable. You know, you can get yourself... Uh, do the stuff that they're making right now, like, you could go pick up, like, a Mexican Strat or even, like, a Squire. I think those Squires are fine. And if you want to, like, start upgrading things, like, put different pickups in it in the future and things like that, for a starter, go grab a Squire, something like that. Get you a couple electroharmonics pedals. They're affordable. They get the job done. They might not be the most, um, the strongest pedals to take on the road and get beat up every night, night after night. But especially if you're just like making an at-home rig, electroharmonic stuff is fantastic and get you an amp. It could be a, and I would say a tube amp if you can, you know, start with a tube amp. One of my first guitar amps that I will... I could fall back on this amp tomorrow and play this at live shows is our Fender blues juniors. It's just a little guy, a little 15 watt, 12 inch speaker, dude. You, it's so like portable and everything. And it sounds so good. Okay. 
Blues Juniors are, it's basically like the step down from a Deluxe. So a Deluxe being like 22 watts, Blues Junior is like 15 watts. It's, a, it's actually a big jump because uh, those Deluxes, I think, can get a lot more volume and a lot more power. But dude, the tone on Blues Juniors is just phenomenal, man. And it's so small and so convenient and so easy. And you can get one for a pretty decent price. I think if you had like, if you're trying to get into guitar and you have a budget of like 500 to a thousand dollars, you could, you could make a pretty awesome rig right off the bat. So yeah, I mean, I just had some of these questions come in. Like people were wondering about, uh, how I get my guitar tone and some of the things that I think about and, uh, yeah, the, the, these are the rabbit holes, man. So Lee and Joe, thank you for the questions. These are some of the rabbit holes that I go down and some of the things that I think about when I'm thinking about guitars and guitar tone. <laughs> okay, this is going to be funny. I'll probably just wrap it up with this right here. But I told... Oh, man, this is so funny. I told the story of me getting into music in the last episode and me getting into playing guitar and what that was all about. And... I literally forgot about the first band that I was ever in. It's really sad. I don't, I don't know why that happened. But when I first started getting into music, I was young. I was like 12 years old and I was on drums. And I was listening to like the popular music of the time, which was like your Blink-182s and some 41s and things like that. And a lot of Sublime. And I started playing drums with some buddies, my buddy Luke, who played guitar, and my buddy Kale, who played bass. I would probably bet that neither of them play instruments anymore. <laughs> this was so long ago. Uh, I could be wrong. Maybe they're, maybe they're crushing it right now in some band or something. I have no idea. But we started playing music like that. We were covering... I remember we played that song, Damn It, by Blink-182. It was so bad, man. We recorded ourselves... And this was back in the day, I told this story on Shakedown News the other day when I was chatting with Billy, but this is the day when you had like the spool of CDs that you could burn, right? And you could print, you know, you could still do all this, but you could print labels off of your computer and things like that. So we recorded from like a computer microphone onto our computers of us playing some terrible music made cds of it our band was called inadequate and of course quit was spelled k-w-i-t because at the time that was really cool to you know misspell stuff and yeah, we recorded these cds put the labels on it with our names on it and everything and passed them out to our friends and i just remember getting absolutely roasted and just people not liking it and I'm, i was getting terrible feedback and it's pretty funny and that may be the reason for why I have like forgotten about it is maybe, I, maybe it scarred me. Maybe that was like, <laughs> maybe that was like really, uh, maybe that's why I, I analyze things so much today. And I think about the music so intently and, um, yeah, inadequate. So if somebody has one of those CDs that's been burned from back in the day, that's just like sitting in their drawer, scratched up somewhere, I would love, love to see that. But yeah, man, let's uh, let's uh, do this again this next Sunday. We're going to have another gig at the Wayfair again. And, you know, this last time we it was free. 
But it was so tough because so many people came that we couldn't let everyone in because we had to keep a very slim number in the back. We had to keep things socially distanced. So I think it was a 50 person limit. But what they were trying to do was be accommodating. So if somebody wanted to leave and go home, they would snip their wristband and they would allow people that were waiting to come in, you know, person by person. So two out, two in kind of thing. But um, this next week, we got to be a little more organized with it. So we're going to charge for tickets. They're going to be 15 bucks each. And there's only going to be 50 tickets available. And that's it. And they went on sale yesterday. So... I would get on that quick if you want to uh, be a part of this show because uh, a lot of people, there was literally people hanging over the fence last Sunday, like dancing and rain. This is so cool, man. It was so, the energy. I can't even explain what it feels like to be deprived of that feeling of having that connection between the fans and the, and the band and just what kind of magic that creates. And to not have that for three, four months and then to go back out and do it, it was... Um, freaking awesome. It was unbelievable. Thanks again to everyone that showed up. So yeah, for this next week, man, get on those tickets because they're going to go quick. And then once they're gone, once 50 tickets sell, that's it. So yeah, I hope to see you out there. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode two of John Lavero Actualized. I'm going to wrap it up here. You know, let me know in my DMs and in the comments section of Facebook anything that you'd like to hear me talk about here, any guests you might want uh, me to get on. I've already planned on getting a couple of people on here, a couple of musicians, things that, uh, some people that I know very well, and so we can have some back and forth and some interaction on this podcast. But yes, thanks again so much for tuning in to the John Lavero Actualized Podcast. Hopefully I see you this Sunday at the Wayfair. But I'll definitely see you next time we do this podcast. Peace out.